out to uh, those in South Africa tonight. I may be the uh, uh, one of the few uh, radio hosts that has uh, actually been there or uh, loved it. Uh, the uh, I think Cape Town in particular is a beautiful uh, place. Love the uh, the game uh, reserves like uh, Kruger. So I have been in South Africa. It is the other end of the world from where I currently am, but that's uh, that is okay. Uh, speaking of the other end of the world, uh, a Duke volleyball player. Uh, came out and said that while she was playing volleyball, you know, and being given a free scholarship for uh, for playing girly volleyball and being flown around the country uh, uh, on uh, on chartered jets to play uh, uh, girly volleyball, that that is a major major drain on the uh, economics of the university. It's not like football or men's basketball that make a lot more money than they put into those programs. It's a huge drain on the, uh, on the program, on the university. Uh, she claimed that she was given um, racial slurs every time she tried to serve. And, and I'd rather be poked in the eye than have to defend Brigham Young University. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the time comes when you have to say, enough already of uh, of black Americans uh, crying wolf when there is no wolf. Uh, Brigham Young did a comprehensive analysis of, uh, of, the, of that game. They interviewed 50 different people that were standing, standing around the person that they suspended uh, for making the racial slurs, slurs that were alleged by this woman. And uh, then they, uh, they got everyone's cell phones, all recording devices, listened to them all, had a comprehensive review. And after Duke got holier than thou and said, we won't expose our, our kids to that kind of thing. And as a coach, I have to stand up for the, the, uh, the well-being of my kids in this program. And, and then uh, another South Carolina university saying, oh, we're not going to go play uh, basketball uh, at uh, BYU because of the racial slurs. It found out she just did nothing but lie. A complete and utter lie. Uh, they have 
mm-hmm. listened to 50-some-odd recordings. They've listened to uh, uh, all of the people sitting in that section. They've interviewed everybody they could, not, a, not even a, a hint of evidence that a single racial slur was issued. But yet Duke, rather than say, we apologize and we're going to uh, censure the students that claimed otherwise because to make a false claim uh, is slanderous and it's, uh, it's detrimental to the university and uh, detrimental to where we were playing and their fans and, and the person that was accused, you know, their life is, uh, is maligned. But mm-hmm. no, they, uh, they wouldn't do it either because evidently it's okay for a black person to lie and to be forgiven uh, for having done so. In fact, not even questioned for having done so. Speaking of lies, a friend of mine sent me a, uh, a, uh, a post that is making the rounds in social media and said, you know, I need to bring this up on the show. And I, I'm hoping he asked me to bring it up because he knew it was untrue and it's become insanely popular. There is a, a series of posts claimed that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. won a Supreme Court case against all of the pharmaceutical lobbyists in which the course ruled that the uh, mRNA COVID-19 vaccines cause irreparable damage. There has been no such Supreme Court case. Robert F. Kennedy has never brought a case uh, before the, uh, the Supreme Court. There's no proof that the COVID-19 uh, uh, vaccines cause irreparable damage. The whole thing, beginning to end, is a lie. And it takes all of about five minutes to go online and to show that those who are promoting conspiracies have nothing to argue other than to deceive. And it is just sad that, you know, I've read the uh, most recent reports uh, because I had to do it after receiving this on on the COVID-19 vaccine. Mm -hmm. And the... uh, most scientific estimates at this point is that because of the vaccines, 20 million lives were spared. So the vaccine, because all vaccines have uh, an element of danger in it, may have cost 100 people, maybe 200 people. Uh, some uh, negative uh, influence might have even killed uh, 100 people. It saved the lives of 20 million. It is what we've said about vaccines all along. It's one of science's great um, accomplishments. Nothing that science has ever done has had as positive effect as, uh, as vaccines. So you can hate your government if you want to. I don't like it either. You can despise Fauci. I don't think uh, uh, he is, uh, is a worthy individual. In fact, I think he's a scumbag. But the fact of the matter is, the COVID vaccines, when they initially came out, made a huge difference on, uh, on Delta. As it turns out, as the virus uh, mutated uh, and became weaker, but more contagious, but weaker in terms of its effects, the, mm-hmm. the vaccine was uh, still effective in keeping you out of the hospital, but it would not uh, keep you from catching the, uh, the virus. But uh, I thought I would bring uh, that up. Uh, Speaking of another uh, conspiracy, uh, we have done a number of programs on Pope Pius XII, one of the scummiest of, uh, of all Roman Catholic popes, and that's saying a lot. He was Hitler's pope. He's the fellow that actually 
negotiated the deal before he became pope with Adolf Hitler that enabled Hitler to become uh, to, to be empowered. If he That's had not, yeah. yeah, negotiated away the political uh, influence of the Roman Catholic Party in Germany, and told Hitler, "We'll strike a deal. The religious lives of these people are our sole domain. The political lives of these people are your sole domain. Uh, we will." Uh, um, you know, all votes will be for you. Our political support will be with you. We'll say nothing about your anti-Semitism. We'll stand down on all these issues. It is the negotiation that enabled Hitler to be empowered. And then right in the view of the Vatican, uh, the Pope sent thousands of, uh, of Jews to concentration camps, of which uh, only about uh, 5% returned to the other 90%. What they have found now in the Vatican Library is... Letter after letter, um, note after note, uh, ruling after ruling that shows that Pope Pius was a raging anti-Semite and that the popes before him were raging anti-Semites and that they uh, justified uh, the killing of Jews. In fact, his argument against uh, uh, this when it was finally brought up and he couldn't flee it anymore is he said, you know, it really wasn't in the Germans' uh, interest to take these uh, Jews and uh, take them to the concentration camps to kill them because we had them well under control. They had no rights here and they were subjugated to live in the worst possible conditions. So I just want you to know, if you're a Roman Catholic, shame on you. Uh, with the most detrimental influence on, on humanity of any institution ever. And uh, Pope Pius was amongst the scummiest of a bad group of, uh, of popes. Uh, I'd also like to remind you that, uh, that those who think that the invasion of, uh, of the Ukraine was because Putin's a uh, bad guy, uh, that you are naive. Uh, the invasion of the Ukraine is strictly because uh, Biden and Obama before him and the Republicans uh, in the Senate and Congress are bad men, and they specifically planned this war. But Putin does have some advice for um, the Europeans who have decided to sanction him so that uh, he uh, uh, is no longer able to uh, send them uh, gas, that uh, his advice is, I would encourage you to buy sweaters. Uh, that said, I would like to turn to uh, uh, Bob Midbar, numbers uh, 14, 23 is the last, and 24 of the last statements that we analyzed in our program a week ago. Uh, this is the conclusion of uh, the first chapter of the eighth volume of Yadayawa. Uh, if it, I think it's one chapter away from receiving its final edits. Uh, we're having a little uh, trouble getting the, the last chapter, uh, the final edits uh, to me. Oh, hopefully we'll get them in the next uh, few days and we'll get that uh, chapter posted. Uh, but the the book uh, is uh, uh, is now in fact I can see it here on yadiyah.com. David has been kind enough, even though we don't have the uh, the final chapter of it done. The book is called Separation. Uh, it is now posted on yadiyah.com, and you uh, can look at the first chapter, which is Kalib, totally judgmental, man's best friend. Uh, that is the first chapter, and that is where we are bringing uh, this program. Um, 
for those who are, are going to go to the Yada Yada site and bring up Kaleeb, Totally Judgmental, uh, and uh, read along with us, uh, I would tell you that our approach to Yahweh's testimony has changed uh, over the years. Um, his testimony has not. Our approach to it uh, has, or my approach to it has. Uh, I've done this now for, oh, I guess, better part of 15 years, uh, various radio shows uh, and, uh, and uh, this one on, on the uh, beginning of the Shabbat. And in the past, I would always read the translation uh, as is uh, appropriate, and then all of my commentary would be extemporaneous. And mostly I shared things that weren't in the chapter, things that uh, that was inspired to share about what we were reading uh, contemporaneous with the program. And that was really my favorite. I just, I love to talk about Yahweh's words that way and to share what comes to mind as we're, uh, as we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something changed, uh, Kirk, with the rewrites. And the, yes. the two things that changed was that uh, as we went back through all this material, we found that there wasn't an occasional reference to what we were doing, but it was ubiquitous. Uh, in, yeah. in every prophetic book, virtually, there, there's a reference to what we're doing. And, uh, and God is bringing it to his people's attention because he wants to call them home. He wants them to become part of his family. He wants them to leave Judaism and to leave politics and to listen to him and accept the terms and conditions of his covenant and come home because there isn't much time left. He is returning. Uh, and your 6,000, yeah, which is not based on Mamadi's ridiculous calendar that's essentially baseless. Uh, but we are just now uh, 11 years from that time. It'll be 2033, October 2nd. In 2033, to be exact, on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Reconciliations, is when Yah was returning. And he's returning with Dod. So we don't have uh, a lot of time left. But as as we were doing these retranslations and rewriting all of the books, I think there's 23 of them that have been rewritten now. Uh, and we constantly were reminded um, about Yahweh's agenda and how he is using us to achieve his goal of Reconcile his relationship with Yehudim, with Jews. Uh, the tenor of and some of the precision of uh, the message became sharper. And there is a tremendous difference, and Yahweh is a big advocate of this difference, between the written and spoken word. The written word is precise. Uh, you have the, the chance to consider each word, mull it over a bit, um, commit it to paper, draw the connections between various statements, memorialize it so that it, it doesn't change and that people can search it over a long period of time. And, and since the written word is Yahweh's preference, and since the message became so much more specific, more pertinent, uh, it gained a, a both an, an intellectual and a, an emotional bite that wasn't there before. That we are following Yahweh's instructions, which is to communicate in writing. And so much of what you're going to hear is actually read and recited from these chapters. 
gives you the chance, if you're listening to this program, to read along with us. It gives you the chance at the end of the program, you can copy and paste anything that we say into a search engine and verify it yourself. Um, and occasionally we will ad lib. Uh, but this is a much more precise way to communicate, and the message is so important that we want to be precise. And so uh, that is the style that we are, uh, are taking at this point. So as we, uh, we continue with, uh, with Yahweh's message, uh, we were in uh, uh, Bob Midbar, Numbers 14, uh, page 46, actually, of the first chapter. Indeed. Every one of these individuals who have witnessed my substantive presence, along with my signs, the symbols, the examples, and illustrations of mine, which to reveal the way to receive the benefits of the relationship, I have accomplished acting upon while engaging within the crucibles of political and religious oppression as well as in the wilderness, and yet are continually trying, testing, and tempting me, these ten occurrences, and have not listened to my voice, even if they see the land which I promised and pledged to their fathers, since all of them have disrespected and despised me, rejected and spurned me, treating me with contempt, they will not experience it. However, my associate, my co-worker and servant, Kaleeb, which means all heart, the dog, who is totally judgmental, because he has a different spirit within him and has wholeheartedly and without reservation followed me right to the very end. I will bring him into the land which to show the way to get the most out of life, he arrived there and entered. And so his descendants, those who are rooted and grow based upon what he has sown, will inherit it. Now that's a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Khalif. Now, in our previous programs, if you want to know Khalif's speeches, I would encourage you to go back to, and, uh, and read them. They Kaleeb uh, had his act together. This, this was a guy that uh, I would like to look up in eternity and spend some time with. He, he, was, a, he was a man's man. He, he was ready for adventure. He wanted to go explore. He knew Yahweh, trusted Yahweh, tried to rally his people to, to knock some sense into their heads. Kaleeb was the best of them, one of the best, most extraordinary individuals ever. And... God's response to the rest of them was, I removed you from being tortured and abused as slaves, where your sons were being murdered as babies, as infants, and you were being worked to death. That's in Mitzrayim, the crucibles of political and religious oppression. And then throughout the wilderness, and And no matter what I did for you, you were constantly trying me. And he says, these ten occurrences. uh, We just finished the story of the waters of Mirabah, which was one of them. And you've never listened to my voice. You're not willing to, to even consider what I have to say. 
And so this land that I, I pledged and promised to your fathers, since you have disrespected me, despised me, rejected me, you're not going to experience it. So the land is symbolic of Shamaim, of heaven, of living with God. If you disrespect him, you are not going to enter heaven. Therefore, all of the religious Jews who won't even mention his name and have valued their rabbis and their Talmud over his name and his Torah, who have changed his covenant, which is a family relationship in the Torah, to a Jewish religious experience, he says, no, you're not going to heaven. I am not going to allow you in. There's not a single religious Jew that's ever been in heaven. Not a single religious person, for that matter, has ever entered heaven or will ever enter heaven, including Christians and Hindus and Muslims and, well, Scientologists. They're, they're, special, they're a special level of stupid. <laughs> so are the Mormons. No there's no, there's no, there's no exemption for stupidity. Sorry, Mormons and, and Scientologists will be excluded as well. And that's a good thing. Uh, spending an eternity with stupid would get really old. Yeah. But Kaleb, Kaleb was sharp. Uh, he, uh, he was judgmental, which is what his name means. Uh, he was outspoken. He was bold. He was courageous. He was articulate. He was curious. He went and examined and explored the land, loved it, trusted Yahweh, he was everything go God get it. wants us to be. Yeah. And yeah. what's important here is what God said, I'm letting Kaleb in, but I'm not letting the rest of you in. What does that tell you? God's not into numbers. He's not impressed with, with hundreds or thousands or millions or billions. What he is is impressed with the Kalebs in this world. And whether there's one of them or a thousand of them, it's the people like Kaleb that... God's going to open the doors of heaven. Um, a great example is Dode. Dode is the ultimate Kaleb. Moshe was a Kaleb. Outspoken, articulate, brilliant, trusted Yah, listened to Yah. But it is in Kaleb that we find out what qualifies to get Yah's attention. What did Kaleb say? I trust Yah. It's a beautiful place he's given us. So what if there's, uh, if there's obstacles there? That's part of the fun. With Yahweh, we'll overcome them. If Yahweh's with us, who can be against us? Mm-hmm. Let's go. Stop your belly aching. It was promised to us. Let's capitalize on it. That's Kaleb. You want to be part of heaven? Bring out your inner Kaleb. Kaleb, by the way, was the opposite of the meek. You know, in Christianity, the meek will inherit the earth? No. No, it's the... Look at at the people that Yahweh speaks highly of. Uh, Elia. uh, Yashaya. All stand up. Dode. They're all stand up, speak up, strong, backbone, courageous individuals. Bold. What Yahweh likes. Look at the the woman that Yahweh says, you know, she's the mother of Yisrael. She is, she's a prophet. She's a judge. 
uh, I'm going to empower victory because of this woman's courage. Uh, Deborah. Um, yeah, likes courage, whether it be in men or women. So Yahweh has explained the consequence of mankind's greatest foes. They are religion and politics. The only human institutions to infect and plague everyone, entire society. God was not chastising individual sin like coveting one's neighbor's ass, telling a fib, stealing uh, someone's lamb, or threatening to bury Moshe as they were in a pile of stones. To the exclusion of only four people out of hundreds of thousands, they were all complicit. And the target of their delusion was singular. They were bellyaching and testing and trying God. That's the nature of Judaism, even today. As such, not only were the Israelites establishing the basis of their religion and recognizing their shared ethnicity, we are reading about the emergence of the religion of Judaism. Now, this assessment is irrefutable, especially in this context and based upon their repeated and unequivocal declarations. Rabbis even concur, claiming that their religious arguments of their oral law, which would become the Babylonian Talmud, was all composed at this time and place. Now, that's a lie. But since they claim it, they can't disclaim that this is the time Judaism was born, and therefore they can't disclaim that Yahweh was condemning their religion. So with everyone in agreement that the children of Israel were explaining the basis of Judaism, considering the consequence, choosing to be religious today, well, is stupid. God is fair. He gave his people what they wanted. They would be controlled and abused by the worst mankind could muster. Well, at least at the time, the the Romans Mm -hmm. would be far worse. And for Jews that are listening to this program, whether it be in South Africa or any other place in the world, I think we were in France last week, uh, I'm not picking on Jews any more than Yahweh does. Yahweh just doesn't pick on Christians and Muslims as much as he does Jews. He doesn't really have any interest in uh, in, uh, the societal corruptions of of Goyim in that way. You know, if you're a a Christian, God has just no interest in you. If you're promoting Christianity, eh, well, you're going to end up in Sheol. Uh, The same thing is true with Islam. If you're just a run-of-the-mill Muslim, God doesn't know you, and your life will be uh, over. Uh, There'll be no heaven, no hell, no nothing. You were deceived, and you were played for a fool. But Judaism is different, because God spoke to his people in their language. He revealed himself in their presence. He forged his covenant with them. He gave them their land. All of his prophets were among those people, his people. He's done them every favor. 
And so for Jews to reject Yahweh as they have by choosing to be religious, that's a special level of stupid from God's point of view. And so he has more to say about Jews than anyone else. Now, again, that said, uh, I'm now translating uh, Daniel uh, 7 and, and commenting on why Yahweh called out the, uh, the four beasts to, uh, to condemn. The first beast, of course, is Babylon. The second beast is, is Media Persia, mostly Persia. The third beast is uh, Greece. The fourth beast is Rome. And Rome, he says, will evolve differently than the others, and it becomes the Roman Catholic Church. And so in that um, condemnation, Yahweh is condemning both Judaism, Islam, uh, and also uh, Christianity. It is Christianity that uh, emerged from Imperial, Imperial Rome. In fact, there was a period of time where there was literally no difference between Imperial Rome and the Roman Catholic Church from about uh, 300 uh, to 400 uh, CE, maybe even and beyond. There's just no difference. They were inseparable. Uh, and so that's God's uh, criticism of Rome and of Christianity. So he does criticize other religions. It's just that his people, his chosen people, are Jews. He's made promises to the descendants of Abraham, and therefore uh, they uh, receive the more reward and more benefit than anyone else. So, as I say, Yahweh is fair, and he will give people exactly what they, uh, they want. Uh, the Jews chose to go off and to demean Yahweh, to besmirch the source of life, to never say his name, to prioritize their Babylonian Talmud over his Torah. As a fact, they would go so far as to call their Talmud the Torah. The Torah. And by doing so, Jews became the most demeaned and degraded people in recorded history. It's the path that they chose, not God. And they continue to choose it to this day with every word. And there have been billions of them. They have further estranged themselves from God, especially considering that they despise his name. Fortunately, Yahweh prefers quality, as I mentioned, over quantity. He is pleased to go forward with one good man, his associate, co-worker, and servant, Khalif, the dog, who was totally judgmental was enough for Yahweh. He was the lone individual willing to trust and rely upon God. He was the only person to stand up uh, against the religion and attitude of his people. Believe did this today, Jews would dispatch him as an anti-Semite. Yeah. If he did in Israel, they would uh, charge him with a hate crime and put him in prison. But let's be clear that the man who exposed and condemned the religion, politics, culture, and conspiracy of the people is the one man Yahweh embraced. So he may be the one man that the religious and the political hate, but he's the one man God invited no, into his home. Yeah. The fact cool. that he's the one man God invited into his home 
we should consider what Khalib had to say. The spirit in Khalib was uh, achar, different. Why? Because he was inspired and guided by Yahweh, meaning that he enjoyed the company of the Ruach Kodesh, the set-apart spirit. Therefore, the spirit in him was distinct and different from those influencing his brethren. That's sobering. Because according to God, the spirit of Judaism is therefore adversarial. It's adversarial, it's demonic. And yes, I realize that this assessment would play into the hands of anti-Semites who would claim that Jews are the sons of devils. But here Yahweh is saying that Kaleb's spirit was different than those of his brethren that chose to be religious. And that means, since Kaleb was invited into Yahweh's home, that by having a different spirit, theirs was, in fact, demonic. Kaleb, the always judgmental, may represent what we have striven to become. He is Male Archer Ani. And as we approach the last days, we will wholeheartedly and without reservation follow our God right to the very end. And so, in so doing, we expect to lead an observant remnant of Yehudim into the promised land. The message Kaleb Zerah has sown has taken root in our hearts. His words and resulting relationship with Yahweh are now producing the very descendants who are becoming heirs to the covenant and who are inheriting all that God has to offer. When we understand the past, we can predict the future. So let's consider where we began to better appreciate where we are headed. Kaleb, being completely judgmental, stands in contrast to Yisrael, striving and contending against God. So before I share what is in Mizmar 81.6, beginning uh, at 81.6 through the end, as a conclusion which was set up to be an an introduction to Hosea 1, which is where we're going to go with the next chapter. And Hosea is probably the single most indicting and pertinent book ever written uh, for Yehudim. Uh, I, I do bring uh, bittersweet uh, news is that um, uh, Kirk, uh, my co-host here, uh, uh, I suffered the passing of his uh, wife, Terry. For those of you who have been part of our program for a long time, uh, you know that Terry listened to a program that I did uh, uh, more than a decade ago on one of the thousands of interviews. Yeah, 15 years. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 15 yeah. years ago and invited Kirk to listen. They began to read the uh, the books uh, and have been covenant uh, ever since. That uh, Terry came down with a, a horrible form of, uh, of cancer several years ago and uh, the treatments for it made it worse um, and has been gradually fading uh, away and with Kirk holding her hand um, this week uh, she uh, she passed away. So um, we sympathize with you, uh, Kirk, and uh, we uh, we 
I enjoyed uh, getting to know uh, Terry. When in trouble in the midst of very unfavorable circumstances and adversity, you called out and I rescued and withdrew you. I responded and answered you within a veiled covering and within a thunderous spoken declaration. You is Yisrael, the children of Yisrael, Jews, all 12 tribes. The speaker here, I, the one doing the rescuing, the one doing the withdrawing, the one providing the answer, is Yahweh. So when in trouble, in the midst of a very unfavorable circumstance, an adversary, the adversity was being slaves in the crucibles of human oppression. They finally called out and said uh, they needed God to intervene, and God said, I rescued and I withdrew you. I responded and I answered you. And God is clear. Then a veiled covering within the, uh, that uh, uh, cloud, a pillar cloud during the, uh, the day and, and this pillar of light during the, uh, the night, and he spoke to them with a strong and, uh, and clear voice. Thereafter, I discovered your nature. Ooh, and I assessed your merit. Becoming appraised about who you really are. Especially at the waters of Mirabah. Contentious, complaining. Mismore 81.6. Um, none of us are perfect. God discovering our nature when we're imperfect may make some people feel uncomfortable. Uh, it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable uh, because uh, God has a plan to make me look perfect in his eyes. And anyone that's part of the covenant, he wraps us within the light of his set-apart spirit. And so God only knows the best of who we are. But if you're not part of the covenant and you're not receptive to the set-apart spirit, then God sees you as you really are. And God sees the religious Jews as he saw the children of Israel bellyaching, uh, their contentious complaining at Mirabah. He says, pause now and reflect on this and on hold this in the balance to consider what is required and what has been rejected. Listen, my people, because I want to testify and to restore and to sustain you, helping you by bearing witness to and through you. That's the thing that God says so often, over and over again. Listen to me. The religious want to pray. What in the hell do you think you're going to talk to God about? What are you praying for? Truly. Truly. What what is the purpose of it? Stop yabbering. Shut up. Listen to God instead. God, never once say, pray to me. I want to hear your complaints. Never once. God is not so insecure that he says, pray to me. I want to hear you tell me I'm wonderful. Good grief, no. Never. God doesn't want to hear your laundry list of, of wants and desires. Not interested. It's a really good idea to listen to him. He's got a lot to say, and we need to hear it. Listen, my people, because I want to testify to restore and sustain you. 
helping by bearing witness to you and through you, Yisrael. If only you would listen to me, there would not exist among you a strange, foreign, illegitimate, or different God. I'm here to tell you the God of the Hadithic, the God of Reformed and Orthodox and every other form of flavor of Judaism, the God of Christianity, the God of Islam, A, are not the same, and B, are not God. That's just a matter of fact. Not my opinion, God's conclusion. It's irrefutable. The Hashem of Judaism is not Yahweh. The Jesus Christ of Christianity is not Yahweh. The Allah of Islam is not Yahweh. And Yahweh is the only God. And he has but one name. But it's because his people have not listened to him that strange and foreign, illegitimate and different gods exist in your midst. You would not make pronouncements on behalf of, or bow down to, bobbing your heads up and down, causing through your statements the worship of a foreign god. That's what he says to his people, Mizmore, Psalm 81.9. I am Yahweh. Rabbi, say that. I am Yahweh, your God. It's not allowed. No, in fact, for for many years, it was a crime punishable by death. Yahweh's name is disallowed by papal order in the Roman Catholic Church. You won't find Yahweh's name in any Christian babble. I am Yahweh, your God. The one who lifted you up and carried you away from the realm of religious and political oppressions, from the despots and tyrants within the cauldrons of military and economic subjugation. So choose to joyfully open your mouth, and I will fill it with satisfying proclamations. You're willing to speak for God, and you're willing to listen to him and come to know him. God's going to make you a very effective witness. One of the reasons are there just aren't very many of us. And so I let them go astray. My people, they haven't listened to the sound of my voice. The Israelites have been unwilling to accept me. They are neither agreeable nor receptive to me. So I let them go astray, setting them free releasing them for a very long time in their stubbornness and their recalcitrance and their unyielding resistance of their adversarial attitude. They literally and continually walk in their own counsel and in their own customs and traditions. If you are a Jew and you hear from Yahweh this pronouncement, you ought to be shaken in your sandals. Mm-hmm. Jacob, God says, my people have not listened to the sound of my voice, and the Israelites have been unwilling to accept me. They are neither agreeable nor receptive to me. In Hebrew, verbs exist throughout time. This statement was true, is true, will always be true of the majority 
of the Israelites. It is very few Yehudim, Jews, who are willing to listen to God, accept the terms and conditions of his covenant, and engage with him. So if you reject God, as religious Jews have done for thousands of years, as Christians, actually you can't say that Christians have rejected God. They don't even know who God is. And they don't know who he is. Yeah, but they were never introduced. So they, they're still worshiping a pagan god. So Yahweh says, my name is Yahweh. I am God. I am the one that liberated you. And yet you haven't listened to me. You choose instead the stubbornness and recalcitrance of an adversarial attitude. You literally and continually walk in your own council, your own customs and traditions. I don't think there's any people in the history of humankind that have been so enamored with their own council, their own customs or traditions than that uh, that exists in rabbinical Judaism. If only my people had listened to me, Israel and my ways, you would have walked. You know, in rabbinic Judaism, uh, uh, Jewish law is called halakha, based upon this verb, halak, to walk. And God has said literally and continually walk in their own counsel. But had you listened to Yahweh, Yisrael, you would have walked in Yahweh's ways. And guess what? The ways of Jewish counsel, the rabbinic counsel, lead to Sheol, eternal separation. Yahweh's counsel leads to Shamayim, heaven, and an eternity with God. Then I would have consistently subdued their insignificant adversaries and trifling enemies, habitually turning my hand against their troubles and foes. In volume 9 of, uh, of Yada Yawa, I'm currently mm-hmm. in the third chapter of the rewrite, and the first three chapters are principally about Rome. And I tell the whole history of, of Rome, from its fanciful and mythical beginning to uh, its um, demise. And when you hear God say that the most anti-Semitic, the most vicious, uh, the most deadly empire in human history, the uh, Imperial Rome, uh, followed by its uh, uh, stepdaughter, the Roman Catholic Church, that I would have subdued their insignificant adversaries. Yeah, that's clean. Wow. Wow. What a statement. Rome attacked uh, Jews four times. Three times in Israel, one time on the... uh, in the Mediterranean, uh, beginning the island of Cyprus. Four times, Jews were called out, and specifically targeted by Rome, uh, with Rome crucifying hundreds of thousands. Um, the last attack was the single most ruthless ever perpetrated by the most ruthless empire man has ever known. And God said, if you would listen to me, it would never have happened. If you had listened... To him, there would have been no diaspora. There would have been no Holocaust. There would have been no Islamic terrorism. 
All of these things, Jews, I'm telling you, you brought it upon yourselves. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. You brought it upon yourselves by choosing to listen to rabbis rather than to Yahweh. But those who demonstrably shun and slight, who were adverse to and disdain, thereby actively causing others to deny Yahweh, will be considered worthless and will be rejected by him. They will be perceived as insignificant, diminished, and disappointed, denied and estranged for having dealt falsely regarding him. And the way they are currently experiencing time will continue to exist that way forevermore throughout eternity. Mismore song, Psalm 81.15. The speaker here is the Son of God. The speaker here is the Messiah. The speaker is the King of Kings. The speaker is the one man God constantly called right and who is returning with the Yahweh on Kippurim in year 6,000. Yeah. His name is Dode. And Dode is saying unequivocally that if you win you as a people, uh, shun God, slight God, are adverse to and disdain Yahweh, deny Yahweh, as everyone does in Israel. Yahweh's name is one that is never spoken in Israel by anybody. And it's specifically banned by the Jews who are there, the Christians who are there, and the Muslims who are there. Despised by them. You despise Yahweh and his name, you'll be considered worthless, be rejected, perceived as insignificant, diminished and disappointed, denied and estranged for having dealt falsely with him. That may sound harsh. You may want to lash out at me for saying it. I'm reading the Son of God, Messiah, Dode, wrote as a prophet. To experience time as you uh, currently are is a bad thing because you're experiencing time as a religious person by being religious and as a religious person you're going to spend eternity in Sheol. Well, friends, these are must-read lyrics. They are poignant and instructive. They are indicting and they are uplifting. This song in conjunction with the Torah serves as a referendum between the kinds of religions that men conceive, particularly Judaism, and the covenant relationship Yahweh intended. These insights have been available to God's people for 30 centuries. And yet, in all of that time, I suspect there isn't a single descendant of Jacob who has sought to apply the vital lessons contained in these words. Now, hopefully our efforts here this evening and over these past weeks will open some eyes and stir some souls. If you're among them, I have one request. Listen to Yah. Now, we're going to turn the page, and we're going to begin the second chapter of uh, 
the separation, Azab, volume 8 of Yadayawa. Uh, the second chapter is called Zana, Horse, the oldest profession. From this point to the end of this volume, we're going to focus on a singular text that, that was inspired by Yahweh uh, from Hosha, through Hosha. Uh, Hosha's name means uh, he saves, he delivers, um, he liberates. He is likely the single most um, uh, bold, unequivocal, pertinent as it relates to telling Jews that your problem is your religion. And so we're going to listen to everything he said. This is one of the very few times we start at the beginning of a prophetic book, and we're going all the way to the end. We're not going to um, bypass a single statement. So on behalf of Zana the whores, engaged in the oldest profession, we know that as a result of Solomon's willingness to become religious, to accommodate his collection of concubines and wives, the United Kingdom of Israel broke apart. And that was the reason. The reason was that as Solomon went from being a wise man listening to God, and he collected wives and concubines and started trying to appease them, he um, invited all manner of religions into Israel and the nation broke apart separated from God awash in the spirit of Baal the Lord the ten tribes were ultimately ravaged by the Assyrians and they were enslaved all over again all the while the southern kingdom Yehudah Judah was on the cusp of calamity. Their rendezvous with mankind's most ruinous empires, Babylon, Greece, and Imperial Rome, even the Holy Roman Empire and the Roman Catholic Church, the Ottoman Muslims and the residue of what the Romans left behind in Europe would come to fruition in due time. And so it was in this milieu of religion and self-reliance that the impending doom of God's people was just around the next bend. And that is the nature of the book of Hosha. Fortunately, there was a prophet ready, so Yahweh was able to speak directly to his people. After Shamuel, Shamuel, Dode, David, Nathan, the gift, Solomon, when he was listening to God. Obdiah, Yuel, Elia, Elisha, Yonah, and Amats, Hosha stood up for God. Ultimately, it was during a horrific period in the lives of God's people that this man's voice was loud and clear. What we're going to witness over the 
remainder of this volume, which will take as many programs to make our way through, but it's especially pertinent to Jews worldwide. We will gain a greater appreciation for God's frustration with his people. This is because Hosea, our prophet throughout this journey, was asked to marry a prostitute, a religious prostitute, so that he would have empathy for what Yahweh was experiencing with Israel. Now, before we go further, yes, I said mm-hmm. he was asked to marry a religious prostitute. We're just not accustomed to hearing that. Now, religion preaches this uh, Pollyannic, uh, uh, no fornication, no sex outside of, uh, of uh, marriage, uh, you know, no, no, no. Uh, and no prostitutes is what the uh, religious will teach. Of course, they're all hypocrites, and uh, the priests are doing little children, and the rabbis are uh, are um, capitalizing on on uh, married and single women as well as uh, little children. I mean, they're all creeps. But it's hard to fathom in our modern age a religious prostitute, but. That's where most of them were employed. Yeah, Yeah, they were temple Temple prostitutes. One of the ways they sold the religion, one of the ways they they earned a revenue through donations for the religion is to ply the faithful with with sex. So you go to the temple, you get laid. Bow down and get laid. Men, men, Men like sex. And so they sold religion based upon Come here and have sex with a prostitute. God was not impressed with this. He thinks religious prostitutes are vile, and he said that his people, Israelites, the children of Israel, were religious prostitutes. They were whores. They were soliciting financial gain by pandering themselves, promising and feigning a caring and devoted relationship when they were just nothing but a complete fraud. So Hosha's revelation resides between a divorce and the heralding of reconciliation. It is the story of unrequited love, of children acting badly, and of a family and their painful time away from one another. It is a warning about trusting in worldly things, about trusting religious clerics, about trusting politicians. It is also a prophetic tale from Bereth to Azab. Bereth means covenant. Azab means separation. This is the story of Yisrael and Yahudah told from God's perspective. And it's not pretty. Well, we're in the second chapter now of what is the eighth volume of Yada Yahweh, the 23rd overall, which has been retranslated and rewritten over these past two or three years. What follows is based upon my initial attempt to translate the Word of God. After discovering that English Bibles were inaccurate when trying to comprehend the message 
that set all of this into motion, 2 Samuel 7. And while exposing and condemning Islam per Yahweh's request, a friend shared his interpretation of what Hosea had revealed. And he asked me to comment on his analysis, to me rewriting what he had written. And while I was ill-prepared some 21 years ago, I knew enough to recognize that his interpretations were based upon inaccurate renderings of the Hebrew text. And rather than simply telling him so, I tried my hand at translating, beginning with these revelations in Hosea. And I have been sharing them ever since hoping that we would all learn something in the process. Therefore, while Azab going astray is now the 23rd volume to be added to the bookshelf at yadayad.com, this is where it all began. Although, to be fair, since this is the eighth rewrite of what Hosha conveyed to his people, uh, there may not be a whole lot of resemblance to the original text. Hosha, whose name is a contraction of Hugh, he, referring to Yahweh, and Yasha, which means liberated, delivers, frees, keeps safe, and saves, has a lot to say in his opening salvo. The word, the message statement, accounts, and communication of Yahweh came to exist for the benefit of the relationship with Hosha. He was the son of Barry the well, Barry's Springer cistern, during the days of Uzzah, which means mighty Yahweh. Yotham, which means Yahweh perfect. Achaz, grasp hold, and Yakitz Yah, heir of Yah. Kings of Yahuda, meaning beloved of Yah, and during the days of Jeroboam, contentious family, the son of Yoash, Yahweh's flame, king of Israel. Israel can either be those who contend and struggle with God or those who engage and endure with the Almighty. We think of God as light and have witnessed him appearing as fire, and yet he is available to us through his words. The Debar of God is his most effective way of revealing himself to us. It's also the best way to teach and guide his people so that we come to know him. The Hebrew verb haya indicates that the word of Yahweh came to exist with Hosha. Coupled with Asher, it was for the benefit of the relationship and to show the proper way to get the most out of life. Now, recognizing that much of this ancient history I conveyed through a, uh, a listing of kings uh, during the time of these prophets and uh, and kings. The story woven into this chapter uh, of who was in charge of Yisrael uh, 
is then provided for perspective. So it's important to know that the kings of a united Israel, only three of them, the kings of a united Israel were Shaul, Saul, the mid to early 11th century. Yeah, he didn't turn out very well with God. The, the whole Shaul affair was, was really told to predict the Shaul that would turn billions of people against his, uh, his chosen people, uh, the wannabe apostle. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the only king that garnered Yahweh's respect, the prophet who brought us the words of the previous Bismarck, the 81st, the most prolific of the prophets in terms of overall inspiration. His name is Dode. He is the one man that God says, I am his father, he is my son. The one man that God anointed three times. He is the one that is returning with Yahweh. He was king of a united Israel from the 11th to late 10th century BCE. Solomon was the last king of a united Israel, Dode's son. The kings of Yehuda, separate from the northern kingdom, are Hezekiah, uh, uh, Yoash, Uzziah, Yotham, Akaz, and Yachetzyah. Yachetzyah uh, is Hezekiah. Um, so this is the list of kings. Uh, up to Yachetzyah Hezekiah that you know, the Hosha was listing. He also listed the kings of the northern kingdom. Yarabum, Nadad, Basha, Akab, Akitzyah, and Ya'u. Uh, they reigned from the 10th to the 9th century. Now, just for a perspective on all of these things. The prophets of Yahweh were Moshe, Deborah, who we mentioned earlier, Shamuel, mm-hmm. Dod, Solomon, Elia. Uh, Elia is my favorite. Well, in terms of just sarcasm, he's fun to listen to. Cool. Dod, of course, is, yeah. is Yahweh's favorite and, and really everyone's favorite. Moshe is the most extraordinary man, I think, who ever lived. Uh, Obadah, Obadiah is how it's pronounced today. Uh, Yoel, Joel. Uh, Elisha, Yonah, Jonah. Amots, and then Hosha. So that kind of gives you an order of, uh, of who the players are because this is really covering a significant chasm of time. Now, once upon a time, in a land before self-aggrandizing rabbis, Yahudim acknowledged Yahweh's name, and they incorporated it into their own. Uzziah is an example. Almighty Yahweh perfects. Um, Yaketzyah, grasp hold and become Yahweh's heir. Um, it explains what it means to be Yahudah, beloved of Yah. These kings were representing the good, the bad of Yisrael and Yehuda. Uzziah was overly fixated on building an army. Feeling invincible, he became self-reliant. He was struck as a result with leprosy for his pride. 
Yisrael would soon share in his shame, bearing an open wound as a result of his national arrogance. Pursuing the vignettes associated with this listing of kings, in Second Chronicles 27, we learn that Yotham prospered because he ordered his ways before Yahweh. He was a good man who lived up to his name, Yahweh perfects. Akaz, the 11th king of Yahudah and the third in Hosha's list, he ruled from 735 to 719 BCE. We're told in the 16th chapter of 2 Kings that he sacrificed his own son to Baal, the Lord, as was the custom of Goyish religions. Then, in an effort to save his sorry soul from the Assyrian assault that had consumed the northern kingdom, Akaz sought to appease the Assyrians by giving them the temple treasury. Not so good. Yaquitz, Yah, Hezekiah, would briefly turn the tide on national religious decadence. After finding a copy of the Torah and reading it, he reestablished Yahudah's relationship with Yahweh. He would remove all vestiges of religion and then celebrate the Moed Mikre with his people. Yeah, good thing. Because after destroying the northern kingdom in 720 BCE, and enslaving the surviving Israelites 19 years later. King Shanareb dispatched 185,000 Assyrians to finish the job, to capture Jerusalem. Yahweh, however, intervened, killing the warriors who were there to destroy his people. It was a lesson in that experience as well. Hezekiah's story is particularly relevant to us. It is exemplary of what happens when we individually and collectively move from Azab to Bereth. Yaquitz Yah, Hezekiah, understood that he and his people could choose to be religious or they could choose a relationship with God, but they could not have both. And since Yahweh will have nothing to do with the religious to receive his support and protection, Yahudah, Judah, would and will have to clean house to remove the toxins that have plagued them. Therefore, trying to set the proper example, Yaketsha Hezekiah was intolerant. Religious shrines and symbols were destroyed including bronze serpents, golden calves, mountaintop altars, along with the cults that were venerating them. Unfortunately, however, as is typical with kings, even the wealthy and powerful, once the threat was removed, Hezekiah returned to the old ways. He assumed that the enemy of his enemy was his friend, and he formed a coalition with the Babylonians, Assyria's mortal enemy. It was not unlike America aligning itself with Stalin to weaken the Nazis, equipping Mao to fight the Japanese, or partnering with Saddam Hussein to torment the Iranians. Undaunted by the bankrupt strategy, the U.S. would arm the Taliban and Al-Qaeda to fight a proxy war against the Soviets. 
even though that worked out poorly, America would play the same game again, but with far deadlier consequences, now arming Ukrainians as their patsy against Russia. Well, it did not work out any better for Yauda. As a direct result of partnering with pagans, the cities of Ekron and Gibraltar were destroyed. A century later, Yehudim learned that the enemy of their enemy was not their friend. Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by the Babylonians. And most surviving Yehudim were hauled off into captivity in 598 BCE. This is the slice of history that was surrounding everything that we will hear Hosha tell us. Hosha's introductory sentence concludes by saying that these four men were the kings of Yaudah during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Yoash. That is a compelling story. Yoash's father was the youngest son of Akatsiah, who was the king of Yaudah a hundred years before Hosha conveyed Yahweh's message of divorce and of reconciliation. Sadly, immediately after uh, Isaiah's death, Yoash's mother, uh, Athaliah, murdered each of Yoash's siblings, her own children, so that she could claim the throne. So Roman of her. However, the infant Yoash was spared by uh, Yahushiba, the wife of the Loi, the Levite, high priest. Yahuyada knows Yahweh. That's her name. After, oh, that was the uh, priest's name. After being hidden in the temple for six years, by the seventh year, Yoash was deemed sufficiently mature to become king with Yahuyada serving as his regent. Collectively, Yahush, Yahuyada, and Yahushiba returned Yahuda's relationship with Yahweh back to God. In the process, they removed the Baal, the Lord cult, that had metastasized within Judah. Having taken out the garbage, Yoash and his uh, uh, saviors would go on to repair the house of God. So there are moments of reconciliation and of the restoration of the relationship. Upon the chief priest's passing, however, Yahuda fell from Bereth to Azab again, lapsing into paganism. This prompted Yahuyada's son, the prophet Zachariah, to call his people back home act which cost him his life. Truth is seldom popular. Now, demonstrating a short memory and a complete lack of gratitude, Yoash ordered the assassination of the son of the man who had saved him. Uh, I dare say the leadership has been rotten in Israel for a very long time. Looking down upon the polluted cesspool that had become a familiar home to his people, 
Yahweh wanted to show them how he, God, saw them. At the beginning, in the midst of this widespread pollution and profanity, Yahweh spoke through Hosha. He liberates and saves. And Yahweh said to Hosha, he liberates and saves, go and take for yourself a woman who feigns love for money like a prostitute. Impregnate her so that she conceives and bears children who are disloyal whores, pandering themselves around like harlots. This is because those of the land are unfaithful prostitutes, separated and away from Yahweh. As a result, and in the end, Hosha won too. Well, Kirk, that's that's a, that's pretty biting. Yeah, you you know if I can interject one little a couple oh, of little sure. things real quickly, I don't see how anyone studying this much material. And reading all those names would have any doubt that Yahweh's name is Yahweh. And if people use his name, they attach it to the name. Plus, the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, pretty well prove that he's mentioned his name in total 7,000 times. You can't miss the fact that it's there. And, And he starts out on the Tablet of the Stones where we started at the very beginning, Moshe and going up to Caleb. We know he he read to him the, from from the tablet of the stones written by Yah's own hand. Don't be religious. Don't you know? Yes. Look, look at Shemot twenty twenty. Don't be religious. Don't don't yeah, the, do the first, that. Second and so third statements are all don't be religious. Yeah. The first yeah. tablet. That's so, all the first tablet says is don't be religious. Yahweh begins yeah, so, by introducing himself by name. I am Yahweh, your God. I am the one yeah. freed you, delivered, delivered you. you. From the right. bondage of, uh, of slavery and, and Mitzrayim and the place of religious yeah. oppression. So God Don't is your liberator. He's the, he is your <laughs> savior. His name is Yahweh. And then he says, you won't exist with any other gods in my presence. No, and rightfully so. And that's exactly what happens. And then on the, the second statement, I mean, it says, don't associate with religion. Don't don't associate with religious imagery. Don't associate with religious texts. Don't bow down and be religious. Don't don't pray like you're religious. Don't do anything that smacks of religion. And then he says, fathers corrupt their sons to the third and fourth generation by being religious. He says, but thousands, which is one in a billion. Mm-hmm. One in a million. It's a thousand one in a million. Million. Yeah, one in a million. million yeah, yeah we'll uh, yeah. we'll receive my mercy by closely examining and carefully considering the terms and conditions of my covenant. You mean Shema? Yep. And then the uh, the third statement <laughs> is that do not, under any circumstance, deceive anyone regarding my name. Do not belittle my name. Do not negate my name. Do not lie regarding my name. And my name is Yahweh. Do not take the name of Yahweh in a way that in any way diminishes its significance. What is the essence of rabbinical Judaism? Yahweh's name the name. never be spoken. That's the third thing. And they call others anti-Semitic. Forgive anyone does this. Yeah. So now God says, 
at the beginning in the midst of, of what is widespread pollution and profanity. What is the single most popular thing uh, in, among Jews? Religion. Religion. Politics. Religion has always the been the single end. most popular thing among Jews. The second most popular thing is politics. Most Jews today politically are extreme because they're progressives, they're liberals, which is the most extreme acceptance and application of politics, which God despises. The only thing he hates more than politics and liberal politics is religion and particularly Judaism. So to say that this is widespread pollution and profanity, perverse corruptions that are common from Chalals to pollute and profane, to desecrate by making popular and common. The thing that is the single most common and popular entity in the world now and then is religion. The second most is politics. And God's saying if you are, are, popular, are associated with that which is popular, then from his point of view, you're profane and uh, polluted. Yeah, stay away. So at the beginning and in the midst of this widespread pollution and profanity, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, first letter is easy to pronounce. It's pronounced like the, uh, the consonant vowel in English, the yes, for example, Yah. The ah sound is from the hey. The hey is a, uh, is a vowel. The, it is almost always pronounced ah. So it is ya. The wa is how you get the o sound in shalom. It is how you get the o sound in Torah. It's from a wa. It's the wa that provides the o sound in Eloah. God. There are hundreds and hundreds of Hebrew words that have a wa in the middle of them and they are pronounced as the O sound. And the following, the concluding sound is another hey, so it's ah. Yahweh's name is easy to pronounce. You can use his Torah as the instruction. You can use the verb that God said explains his name when he introduced his name to Moshe as instructive. Haya is hey, uh, yod, hey. So that is the yah sound as well as the ah sound. All you need then is the O sound from the Wa, and it's given to you in Torah. One disputes that Torah is pronounced Torah, and the O sound in Torah is from a Wa, or that Shalom is pronounced with an O, and that O is also from a Wa. This is not difficult to know this. So Yahweh spoke through Hosha, he liberated. God spoke on occasion directly to his people. Um, he has spoken through Malak messengers to his people. He has spoken to his people through prophets. He spoke once to his people in a general assembly as they were coming out of Israel, and they said, no, 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 that scares us to death. Don't do that anymore. And so, yeah, is, uh, is content to find someone okay. yeah. and to speak through them. It's what he wishes to do. And it really is an effective way of communicating because by speaking through a person, that individual can flavor the message in a way that resonates with the audience. And God is so much smarter than we are that by filtering it through, 
someone like Hosha or us, uh, in this case, we're not prophets, we're simply messengers, but mm-hmm. by filtering it through us, we are effectively dumbing it down so that everybody can I'm understand. People like me. That's not our intent. <laughs> it's okay. It's the best we can do. But to, you know, when you listen, for example, to Dabarim, uh, the, uh, the last book of the Torah, Dabarim is almost exclusively Moshe's speeches and conversations where he is interpreting what he has learned from Yahweh. There's a enormous benefit of having God's truth filtered through an individual like Moshe. Uh, Dod is the best example. Dod's, all of the Mizmor, most of the Mashal are Dod speaking the inspired words that Yahweh has conveyed through him, but his personality comes through, his attitude comes through. What he knows helps to shape what we hear which makes it much more real for us. It can resonate with us. Uh, we're able to interpret it better. And so in this particular time, Yahweh chose Hosha. And so he's saying, Hosha, I, I really want to drive this point home. First of all, I want you to identify with the frustrations I'm experiencing. My people are acting like whores. I would like you to please marry a whore. Find a religious whore and have Horus children from through her, and you're going to know what I'm experiencing with Israel. My people are acting like the religious whore I'm asking you to marry. And yeah, I know what I'm asking you to do is a lot, uh, but if you do this, you're going to, through that experience, we're going to be able to reach a lot of, uh, of Jews in the end, that ultimately your story and experience is going to resonate with them, that we're going to understand the reasons that I asked you to marry a prostitute and understand God's frustration with his people for acting like horse. And so Yahweh said to Hoshe, go and take for yourself a woman who feigns love for money like a prostitute, who is a harlot and whore, who profits by making men feel good. Impregnate her so that she conceives and bears children who are disloyal whores, parading themselves around like harlots. God explains why. Are you listening? This is because those in the land are unfaithful prostitutes separated and away from Yahweh as a result and in the end. Ouch! Hmm. All the way to the very end, he's saying, my people are unfaithful prostitutes. There's Zana Zana, harlots, committing despicable and loathsome acts, doing so for money. They are separated as a result from Yahweh. If you're separated from Yahweh, there is no life after this one unless it's an eternity in hell. If you are separated from Yahweh, the best you can hope for is for your soul to cease to exist. Because mm-hmm. it is only when you recognize Yahweh, accept his name, celebrate his name, understand the five conditions of the covenant and accept them 
attend his seven Moed Mikre, appreciative of what he has done for us through the eternity with Yah. But that's not the nature of his people. But it is the nature of a few, of a remnant, and it is our mission to make certain that the maximum number of Yehudim have the opportunity to know Yahweh, to listen to what he had to say, to understand the conditions of his covenant, to embrace Yahweh and his bereft. So Kirk, while takila mm-hmm. is typically rendered in the beginning, it seems inappropriate to ignore its root and leave readers shortchanged. Based upon Talal, we discovered that Yahweh is speaking to Hosha about widespread pollution and pervasive corruption, which are manifest in the popular religions of Israel. Talal addresses that which is common and pervasive mm-hmm. and thus pervade. There is yeah. nothing more yeah. common, pervasive, yeah. and profane than religion. Second to it would be politics. Now, we're at the end of our broadcast period. We'll go on a little further here during the recording okay. uh, uh, period, but the broadcast is waning. Uh, when we do go long, uh, typically, uh, because 99% of the listenership to this program uh, is uh, via um, uh, the archives. The archives right now, by the way, are beautifully presented uh, at, uh, on Blog Talk Radio. So if you uh, follow the link, if you go to the yadaya.com uh, uh, site, now go to yadaya.com, you'll notice uh, right off the bat that there is absolutely nothing that we're selling. There's no donate uh, to us button. We're not soliciting any money from you. Uh, the books are provided on that bookshelf in their entirety for free. You can uh, also buy them as a Kindle uh, version. I think is you know the actual book and a Kindle is like 35 cents. Yeah, mean, meaningless. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. in paperback, uh, you can buy a six, seven hundred page paperback for uh, you know ten, twelve dollars, and a hardback is uh, upwards of the high teens, uh, which is royalty free. It's strictly the cost to print and to ship the uh, the book. So it is something that uh, that um, you should avail yourselves of. Now, there's something other uh, also at the Yada Yada site that I, I wish I had mentioned during the broadcast period, uh, and I will uh, next week. Uh, David, our uh, our webmaster, has added a uh, an index uh, to it. Uh, so if you were to go to Yada Yada and you click on the index. Uh, it will bring you uh, to, it begins in Barashi, uh, which is uh, Genesis. You can sh- uh, search by the actual Hebrew name of the book, like Shemot, which is uh, uh, corrupted to Exodus, but it means names. Kara, uh, which is corrupted to Leviticus, uh, but it means invitations. Bamidbar, which is either in the wilderness or uh, by questioning the, uh, the word. Dabadim, uh, which is words plural, uh, corrupted to Deuteronomy. Yosha, Shaphat, First and Second Shamuel, Malekim. It has all of the books uh, that were conveyed through the Hebrew prophets, and you can search for them by uh, by uh, those names. Or 
if you're more familiar with the uh, the corrupted English titles, you can search from Joshua and Judges and First and Second Kings and Proverbs and Isaiah and uh, uh, Habachuk as opposed to Chabauk, uh, Zechariah as opposed to Zachariah. So you can also choose uh, to uh, uh, to search that way. And if you were to uh, to pick uh, one of these books, I'm, I just clicked on uh, Zechariah. Uh, you can look for uh, any passage. And for example, in Zechariah, uh, one 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 through five, one two and uh, three, one four. You'll find that that many of these passages are conveyed in, in multiple volumes in multiple different places. The beginning of Zechariah uh, is covered uh, in an amplified form in uh, Yada Yahweh, well, volume 6, chapter 2, begins on page 74. If you click on that, it'll bring it right up to you. And you can read, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh uh, came to exist with Zechariah, the son of Barakah, the son of Edo, the prophet, to say. And click on the, the next uh, um, statement you want to read. I just clicked on Yeshua 1-4, and it reads, Do not continue to be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets spoke, issuing a summons to them, saying, This is what Yahweh of the vast array of spiritual implements says. Please. Uh, return and be restored from your improper and immoral, your disgusting and displeasing endeavors. It's all there at a fingertip. You can bypass, for example, the commentary uh, that I have written for your benefit. You can bypass the insights that I've been able to derive from Yahweh's words. You can bypass the analysis I've done of the, of the actual vocabulary that Yahweh is using, his his stems, his uh, uh, conjugations, uh, his moods. You can skip all of that and just read the statements themselves and use them to come to know what Yahweh has to say. It's, it's part of the development of the Yada Yah site as a tool to be of benefit to our uh, readers that we have longed for uh, for a, a, a significant period of time and the the way that it is presented now is really helpful and uh, and beautiful. So I am I'm exceedingly pleased that he has been able to uh, to add that. Yeah. Um, so it is uh, on that site that uh, you can find every one of the things that we've been talking about. But on that site too, if you uh, go and you uh, look at uh, click on podcasts archives, and you were to click on uh, on Yada Ya Radio. The, uh, the programs on Yada Yada Radio have now multiple places that you can go to to listen to the, uh, the programs, but you can also go uh, directly to uh, Yada Yada Radio on Block Talk Radio where uh, these programs now have been titled, the, you, the dates is presented, the topics, the, uh, the volume that we're speaking from, uh, the subject matter is all there for you to uh, choose what you wish to listen to. It's becoming a richer and richer experience and a more comprehensive site. And I want to thank uh, uh, my wife, uh, Leah, and, 
and uh, Jackie, our lead uh, publicist, uh, and David, our webmaster. Uh, uh, Dee has worked uh, tirelessly on this as well, uh, particularly in the social media uh, outreach. Uh, this is something we have needed and wanted for a, a long time. And in particular, David, thank you for bringing this uh, to us. Yeah, well done. Yeah, an effective way. The, the website is, uh, is, is marvelous, and uh, you work tirelessly to, to make it possible for uh, the chosen people to choose to be with Yahweh again. Uh, thank you. So it's yadayah.com. Yada means to know. Uh, you can either use yadayah.com or yadayahwa. Uh, dot com will take you to the uh, the same place, and it is now a really a robust uh, experience. And again, all the books are there in their entirety. There is uh, no fee uh, for any of them. You can read them in their entirety on the site uh, for free, and it's even presented so that it appears wonderfully on a uh, on a telephone. Well, I'm not sure what happened. He's been cut off again, but that's a good place to uh, sign off for the night. He's, uh, uh, so we will pick it up next week with uh, the when uh, Hosha one three. So uh, 